0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Insurance Uncovered, the first podcast to bring you insurance news and an inside perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies. I'm Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering Hurricane Ida, how insurers can help as recovery from the devastating Cat 4 storm begins, and stress testing our mutual future. A new joint project from NAMIC and Guy Carpenter helps association members better understand their exposures to certain emerging stress scenarios. But first, more than a week after Hurricane Ida made landfall in Louisiana, early estimates project $15 to $30 billion in claims from the storm. But the figure could jump higher in part because of pandemic pricing that has pushed up the cost of lumber and labor to rebuild. The estimates are still expected to be less than the $87 billion in claims from Hurricane Katrina when adjusted for inflation. Ida was one category weaker than Katrina when it made landfall on the same day 16 years ago. As the rebuilding from this latest natural disaster gets underway, NAMIC has just released its Brick Pocket Guide to help communities design mitigation projects and best position themselves for funding from the Building Resilient Infrastructure and Communities Program. The guide is designed to help focus local governments on assessing their community's risks, collaborating with others inside and out of government, and making use of the numerous tools available to maximize a project's effectiveness. The BRIC program was created by the enactment of the Disaster Recovery Reform Act following years of advocacy by NAMIC, including the Association's work in forming the Build Strong Coalition. The program will award $500 million in grants this year in response to more than $5.5 billion in application requests, and will see its funding double to provide $1 billion in grants in 2022. The Brick Pocket Guide is available online at NAMIC.org. A new survey from VPay reveals a vast majority of property casualty insurers still process 50% of claim payments via paper checks. The study of more than 100 insurance professionals found nearly all PNC insurers have adopted some form of digital payment. But while they may recognize the importance of digital payment processes, some are still hesitant to fully invest in the technology. VPay Vice President of Growth and Marketing Alyssa Logan says the survey was designed to find out what motivates insurers to adopt digital payment strategies, as well as what challenges keep them from doing so. When you only partially adopt, and, and the way that
1: many insurers are partially adopting is that they're, for instance, saying, oh, we'll use this person to help us send out, you know, e-payments of some type, but we're going to do the management on the back end. Or we'll use this group to help us with ACH, and we'll use this other group to help us with some kind of a virtual card payment. And and then you've got, and then they've got checks that are going out from yet a separate group. And at the end of the day, the insurers are less with managing the back end processes of all of that around reconciliation and reporting. And one of the things that going to a fully digital payment process can do is that it can take that heavy lift off of the back end in terms of management and efficiency because um, it allows you to have a single system of record where all of your financial claim and delivery data sits, and you have real-time access to that record, and so you don't have to be, you know, reconciling your, your check register with your card register with your ACH register at the end of the month.
0: The companies surveyed agreed that fully digital payments are beneficial. Advantages include reducing management costs, providing better customer experiences, reducing claim handling times, and improving customer self-service functionality. Well, shortly after the pandemic began, AM Best announced it would begin stress testing its rate company's balance sheets against the impact of COVID-19. That prompted many companies to turn to their reinsurers and brokers to ask questions and get advice about how to answer the new questionnaire. To help association members, Guy Carpenter partnered with NAMIC to develop a stress testing framework. On today's Unscripted, our Neil Aldridge talks with Guy Carpenter's Blake Berman and Scott Rubenstein about this new tool and how it can help NAMIC members better understand their exposures to certain emerging stress scenarios.
2: Joining me for today's unscripted interview, we have Scott Rubenstein and Blake Berman from Guy Carpenter to talk about a new project they're working on with NAMIC about the importance of stress testing companies' balance sheets against the impacts of COVID-19 and other scenarios that are contained in a new report from, from NAMIC and Guy Carpenter. So thanks for joining me today, guys. So why don't we morning, jump Neil. right into it? Thank you, Neil. Scott, we'll start. Sure thing. And Scott, we'll start with you. Uh, so just why is it important for companies to st- st- stress test their financials? Well, Neil, I mean,
3: as you know, probably better than than a lot of us, the goal of any mutual is to be there when their policyholders need them most. Um, and, and Blake and I and our colleagues, we spend a lot of time with mutual companies modeling uh, against natural perils or modeling for natural perils. So if companies are going to invest that much time and energy uh, into um, quantifying the potential impact from a non natural peril, why not do the same for all other components of the business, whether it's financial related or maybe it's a, a black swan type of loss event, whether, you know, for example, cyber or we've been through asbestos or the Chinese drywall issue. Um, it's almost like when you think about Uh, running a fire drill at a school or an office building, companies should do the same with their financials. Uh, Unfortunately, no scenario that we can come up with is going to match a a real world event. But well thought out scenarios such as those developed by NAMIC and and Guy Carpenter can give good guidance. So if we have these tools available to us, um, you know, why not test the worst-case scenario to make sure that, you know, when we have a, a major event, whether it's, again, a natural peril, financial-related, or whatever the case may be, that the next day, uh, all of our um, mutual companies can can open their doors and serve their policyholders.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. And it's also, unfortunately, we seem to have uh, a frequency of major events happening uh, <laughs> whether we like them or not, it seems to be the new normal at the moment. Uh, so Blake, let's turn to you and, and, and talk about the scenarios that we chose to examine in the paper and in the report and, and why did we pick those and are there others maybe we left out, that, that kind of conversation.
4: Yeah, thanks, Neil. Uh, so for the first uh, round of this report, we chose to look at five scenarios. Uh, these are based on uh, speaking with uh, NAMIC members uh, as well as uh, conversations and feedback from AMBEST. Uh, and looking uh, in the public domain uh, at analyst calls and presentations from stock companies to see what was top of mind for them. Uh, so the scenarios we settled on is looking at uh, an increase in activity of, of severe weather, specifically in convective storm. Uh, recession and how that effect would flow through both sides of the balance sheet of the industry. A uh, cyber event, and in particular, a silent cyber event triggering coverage for multi peril policies. Uh, An inflationary event, so uh, unexpected, higher-than-anticipated inflation coming through for the next several years, how that might affect reserves and pricing on long-tail lines. And then a reinsurance market hardening. So as reinsurers have been taking more losses, how might that uh, increase their their, uh, rates in the future, and if, if that did happen, how that would affect mutuals. Uh, those were the highest priority stresses that working with Namic, we decided on. Uh, there were other scenarios that that we did look at uh, and ultimately chose to to not uh, reflect this year you know things you know how climate change may impact hurricane activity. And we didn't feel that the science was quite quite at a place yet where we could put any numbers behind that. So uh, we held off on that one. Uh, you know looking at affirmative cyber cover, that's still a fairly small industry, though it has been growing quickly. Many NAMIC members are not yet writing this product. so we, I uh, uh, wanted to hold off on, on looking at that one until you know, that became uh, a little bit more uh, developed. Uh, and then a potential stagflation type outcome is, is another uh, situation we considered adding inflation and recession stresses together. Um, and we felt that kind of looking at those two risks separately uh, would be kind of the best way to start uh, for this first round of, uh, of the analysis. So th- that's how we arrived at the test that we're looking at uh, for this study.
2: Yeah, it's great. It it sounds like a a parade of horribles to some degree, but uh, important. And hopefully some of these are theoretical. The stagflation uh, context is one that uh, concerns me, but hopefully we won't have to live through it uh, anytime soon. That's for sure. So Blake, staying with you, um, what were your biggest surprises when looking at how dynamic member companies performed in the stress tests? Yeah,
4: well, you know, we, we ran the results through uh, across every company uh, where we had statutory filings for a little over a thousand uh, combined and unaffiliated entities. Uh, of those, uh, we looked at what are the most common predictors, you know, whether uh, ownership type, regional segment, business mix, uh, and running that through regression, we were a bit surprised to see that the number one indicator uh, of a carrier having high expected volatility and low expected returns. Uh, is having higher reserve leverage. So the more dollars of reserve per dollar of surplus, the more likely uh, that carrier would would be in kind of a lower performance uh, quartile. Um, You know, thinking about the the underlying backdrop a little bit more, it may make some sense. You know, we have rising core inflation. We're in an environment of historically low yields and and high asset valuations. Uh, But that was a little surprising to us uh, the first time we saw it. Um, Another thing that kind of jumped out to us is that you know, carriers are talking a lot about inflation. Inflation is a, a very topical concern you know, when looking at claims. Um, but actually, for the majority of companies, in, in NAMIC in particular, recession is actually the biggest impact to surplus. So, uh, right now, where we are uh, in the market cycle, uh, companies have been uh, reaching for yield. They've seen their equity portfolios grow uh, in the last bull market, which is a good thing. But we're at a point today where equity allocation for the NAMIC industry is the highest it's been in at least the last 25 years. So if there were to be uh, a recession, thinking similar to uh, the 2008 financial crisis, that would have a much more pronounced effect on the balance sheets of NAMIC members today than it did uh, in, in 2008. Um, last thing I'm going to mention on this is the convective storm stress. Um, using some of the, the weather data that we saw, we applied uh, regional uh, stresses to companies based on where they're, where they were writing business. We thought for, for many NAMIC members, this would have a very strong effect on their surplus and drive uh, more losses, more severe terror, tail risk. We were surprised to see that for the vast majority of companies with very few exceptions, even a fairly severe, severe convective storm stress was really only uh, an earnings event. Uh, a lot of those losses would be absorbed by the insurance market. Uh, and in the context of the overall risk portfolio of the dynamic industry, that severe convective storm stress that we applied uh, really didn't move the needle quite as much as we expected. So those were our biggest surprises now.
2: That's interesting. <clears throat> I, s- I suppose it it speaks to some degree about the the commonal, the you know sort of commonality of insurers dealing with the storm risk and how they manage their balance sheets to account for it. They certainly have exposure there, but they must be doing the right things to mitigate their risks in a lot of ways. And that's that's a reassuring story there, for sure. So how, how do you think the mutual companies in these tests compared to other parts of the broader industry?
4: Well, uh, the first and most important observation is that mutual industry as a whole today is very well capitalized. And in general, across all of the stress tests, mutuals, do tend to fare better than stock companies. So, uh, you know, we don't want to get too uh, negative with with the appraisal. Uh, You know, the the, the reason we run these tests is you can manage what you measure. Um, So this kind of helps us, you know, be more confident that even if we were to go into these stress environments, the mutual sector would be okay. Uh, Mutuals in general uh, have lower operating leverage. Uh, They have less volatile business mix than stock companies. Uh, they do have higher uh, allocation equities, as we mentioned before, uh, but we see uh, across many of these tests, mutuals will have uh, less exposure to uh, downside uh, events uh, than uh, than the typical stock company.
2: That's interesting. Uh, I think it's it's probably stands to reason too. Uh, mutual industry, it's premature. A lot of our member companies, we're we're something in around. 80-some percent of the country's mutuals have been around for over 100 years. Uh, so they've been able to, you know, build a foundation of financial strength to, to weather these these different scenarios, and that probably isn't too surprising of a, of a, of a, of a finding in terms of the strength of the mutuals uh, and how they perform versus the rest of the industry. So, Scott, let's turn to you. One of the facets of this report and one of the the benefits to NAMIC members of this project we have with Guy Carpenter is that companies can kind of compare their own results to that of, of peer groups in your, in your scenario testing, uh, and that, that's available for dynamic members to take advantage of. So if your company, for instance, if maybe you're underperforming compared to your peers in a particular scenario, you know what kind of actions could, could a company take here?
3: Well, maybe it's no action. Neil. Um, You know, a company knows and understands their financials and the gears that drive their financials better than any outsider or model. But uncovering scenarios in which a company underperforms is important. Uh, And just as important as outlining a plan of attack, even if it's just a a binder that you keep uh, in the closet that you only need to dust off in a worst case scenario, it's it's good to know in which scenarios uh, your company may underperform. Unlike stock companies, and you and Blake both just alluded to this in that last question, um, mutuals, even if for a short period of time in an event they're going to underperform their peers, they don't have to worry about what investors think. They don't have to take drastic actions just to, you know, solve for what may be a short-term bump in the road. And, and we've seen that historically. We've seen, you know, AM Best put pressure on some mutual companies who tend to have uh, a lot of their surplus invested in equities. But we've we've had multiple instances where those um, equities have been tested and those companies have have performed um, just fine. However, in a stress test, that may be highlighted as an area of concern, uh, particularly in one of our um, scenarios where we look at an, an impact on the financial markets. So it's it's possible that no action is needed, um, but knowing what those scenarios are, how it impacts your company's financials, and at least having a couple of options, a couple of paths to go down is better than finding yourself in the middle of an event and kind of running into it into it blind. Um, but, you know, maybe it's, it, it's also just making minor changes, because sometimes, you know, a, a scenario may warrant a drastic change to the way you run your business, and you don't think that change is warranted. But maybe there are smaller changes that we can make across the organization that, that solve for that problem.
2: Yeah, that's, uh, as I view it, it's, it's just another aspect of an ERM exercise, right? It's just a matter of, you know, thinking through what what might be remote in terms of its possibility, but good to know information should it should it happen to arise. So, Scott, staying with you, it, you know, we talked about the strong balance sheet of mutual companies. Um, you know, kind of, I guess this is sort of a little bit about where we started, but, uh, you know, why would companies, if they have strong balance sheets, they're, they're they're built to last, you know, why would they care about this kind of stress testing?
3: It's a good question. Uh, I, w- we just think it's good practice for all companies to continually uh, stress your financials, look at different scenarios, think about what happens in a worst case event, and look if if the results are all positive, then it's worth highlighting those positive actions that position the company to be able to perform well and and to model well um, in these scenarios. You know, sell it to your outside stakeholders, you know, agents, brokers, wholesalers, sell it to your internal stakeholders, your employees, Uh, promote it to your your board of directors. Um, You know, uncover what it is you're doing well that's putting you in that position and, and make sure that you continue to do those. But continuing to, to test um, and to look at, at possible pitfalls is important because if you catch them early, it may require less remediation than would a problem that lingers and grows. And by the time you uncover it, it's it's too late to act, or the the act require is much bigger than otherwise would have been had you caught it earlier.
2: Yeah, it's a great it's a great point. <clears throat> So Blake, let's talk a little bit about the actual framework itself, the the model that you guys use. So if you can, want to outline sort of the benefit of the actual framework, you know, compared to more some of the more simplistic tests that are out there. Um, you know, that that kind of a, a direction here.
4: Sure, Neil. Uh, as we went about testing the industry, uh, obviously, if we're running uh, these stresses across over a thousand companies, there needs to be some uh, standard approach that we take. Uh, so that standardization within the analysis, and you know, we start with public financials, uh, we'll bring in uh, some risk benchmarks around the volatility, payment patterns, correlations between risk factors. Uh, we project out a range of, of possible outcomes for each company uh, within each scenario, which will allow you know, some comparisons between uh, you know, multiple stresses happening at the same time, which are some of the questions we've gotten as, as we've walked through uh, this analysis with with the first handful of, of NAMIC members. Um, so that standardization gives us uh, value and it creates efficiency and allows us to run more tests more quickly. And it can take the results from one company and compare it with their peers. So a lot of times it can be uh, you know hard to interpret, you know, exactly what, what is a, a stress is this, is this a good outcome? Is this a bad outcome without having some context, you know, how has it changed? Maybe versus where, where our stress would have been last year in the same situation. How are we different than our peers? Is our exposure outsized in this case? Um, so having that, that peer comparison, uh, is a valuable, uh, component of, of this framework that companies would be, uh, you know, much more challenged to develop, uh, if they were going to kind of do something, uh, in house. The fact that we're deriving these stresses based on historical market data as well as projections from subject matter experts, uh, both within GC uh, and NAMIC uh, and externally, uh, kind of gives some vetting of the stresses that we're applying uh, for reasonability. So management teams don't have to guess is this stress they're applying too severe, not severe enough. We've we've done uh, a lot of analysis behind the scenes to uh, develop these scenarios that we've run through this modeling. And then, uh, just kind of circling back to, uh, the fact that we're running a stochastic model gives us a range of, of outcomes. Uh, if companies have their own risk tolerances, uh, if they're in communications with either a regulator or AM best having the stress scenarios run through that, those, uh, that stochastic framework will allow them to test what is their excess capital in this scenario. Uh, are they still within tolerance uh, in a given stress scenario? Um, so it gives uh, a bit of flexibility how these events can be translated into conversations uh, with with external stakeholders and in potentially, as as Scott mentioned, uh, you know, business decisions uh, over time.
2: Well, that's it's interesting, and I want to thank you both for Scott and Blake for joining us today. I want to thank Guy Carpenter. We're working with NAMIC on this, this project, and, and this is an interesting set of work here that I really would direct NAMIC members' attention to. Uh, you can access the report, both from Guy Carpenter and from NAMIC, uh, and you can, as I mentioned, as part of the uh, project we have here, individual companies can run their own results, and, and Guy Carpenter can provide them some analysis about how they compare uh, to other peer groups, and it's really a great project, and I look forward for us to continue it going forward. I want to thank you again both for joining us today on the unscripted section of the podcast. And uh, again, thanks for the work on this great project.
3: Thank you, Neil. And we look forward to continuing our work on, on this with NAMIC.
0: And that's a wrap for this episode of Insurance Uncovered. We'll be taking a bit of a break for NAMIC's upcoming annual convention taking place September 19th through the 22nd in Nashville. But don't forget about us. We'll be back on October 6th with more insurance news and interviews. So until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a great day.